and welcome to another episode of Podcasting Success Secrets. This is an interesting conversation and we're going to expand a little bit, but we have a round table here. We're here with Elvin Freitas from the EdUp Experience and Tuan Ho from The Point AI. Thank you, fellas, for making this happen. I know we cobbled this together, but I anticipate this being a very, very highly well-received conversation. So I appreciate you guys taking some time on a Friday. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Michael. Yeah, I'm excited to share what I know. We were chatting a little bit before about the reason that we finally got together. Elvin and I have chatted uh, extensively about podcasting, but you're the reason we're having this conversation, which is AI. And it seems to be all of the buzz. Everybody has an opinion on it. And it also seems people are on one side of the fence or the other. So we're excited to have you bridge this gap for us and help to uh, illuminate some of that perhaps what people don't quite understand. So Tuan, why don't you catch us up on your background a little bit about what you guys do at The Point AI, and maybe if you want to mix in how you got involved in this and a little bit about the lead-up story, that might color the conversation as well. Yeah, I guess a brief history about me. I came to the U.S. when I was 10 in Vietnam, uh, wrote enough essays to pay my way through college, through scholarships, and started my first company when I was 20 after reading 250 books in six months. And then during that time, my last company got me to the Forbes 30 under 30 list when I was 23. But then COVID kind of kills it by the time I was 25. And so from there, I started to think about what's the next stage of where the future lies. And at first, I was really passionate about communication because communication as a whole has so many things that's associated with it. When people think about communication, depending on what sort of industry that you're working in, it could mean very differently. And so when it comes to communication, I think about efficiency of ideas and efficiency of bringing what you're trying to describe to the other person's head and trying to make it make sense and be on the same page with that person. And that kind of led me down to the route of large language models, NLP, which is natural language processing. And during that time, when I was looking in that phase, OpenAI was only releasing GPT-2 which is way before GPT-3 came out, which is the direct association of when they released ChatGPT, which depending on what sources you look at, it could take five days to 100 million users or two months to 100 million users. Whichever source it is, the speed is absolutely incredible in terms of the exponential growth where we're heading in terms of the space of AI. Now, there are so many different thought processes when people think about AI. Some people think that it's a fad. Some people are on the extreme end on each side, and there are people somewhere in the middle. Where I like to be is on the precautionary side of things, where a technology is capable enough to wipe out humanity. You have to be really thoughtful about how you're approaching it. It's because when nuclear technology came out, was there anybody who was on the depends on the fact that, oh, this is just a fad. That make no sense. Everyone immediately take the precautionary side right away. And then there are law, legal entity to ensuring that nuclear technology doesn't get out of hand. Now, the same way can be applied with AI. Now, there are so many different point solutions and different tools that are very novel for people to use, which can be very beneficial for... And technology takes shapes very... Uh, differently depending on where it's enter society. As of right now, majority of the good comes out from AI. But then we have to think ahead of like, if 
this technology is capable of doing more harm in the future, then we have to put safeguards in place. Now, the immediate effect comes from the disruption from within the industry itself. Multiple people and multiple industries are already being disrupted. Hmm. And so the, the fact that when I have friends who work in the music industry and showing them that AI is making songs from Drake and Ariana, they were completely baffled. Because if AI can make music, then what is artists? What's the job of the artist? Same thing with art. And then GPT-4 essentially passed the bar exam with a high efficiency. Now you're leveling the playing field for a regular person to understand legality. And the same thing can apply to medical exams. AI have done tons of beneficial aspects for society, but it's disrupted the industry as a whole. So multiple industries are being disrupted bit by bit. And people shaking it off like, hey, this is kind of cool, but it's not going to ultimately changing things. Now, the difference between AI and human is this. Human, the very fact that we can't perceive anything more than a 3D, or I mean, I guess we can assume that we perceive the fourth dimension, which is essentially time. We can't perceive anything beyond the fourth dimension, I would say. You can't even imagine what that looked like. Explain to me what a tenth dimension is. So our perception and our brain can't do the things that it's designed to do, but AI can do the things that it's designed to do and more. The, the biggest difference between human and AI is that we're very equipped to think linearly. Every single thing we do is linear. If you put more work into a particular thing, then you're automatically assuming that you'll get better at it and in a linear fashion. AI think very exponentially. A human being cannot think exponentially. You can't even explain how to think exponentially, is what I'm trying to say. But AI can. So for example, if you were to present a picture of an iris from someone's eyes, a human being cannot figure out whether or not that I come from a male or a female. But an AI can. So a human being, when you look at particular things or talk about particular things, you have at most 15 or 20 thoughts that's go inside your head. If you're looking at my screen at the moment, you'll notice a lot of different things behind my background, but that's about it. The parameters of GPT-3 is about 200 billions. That's basically mean that whenever I look at something, it has 200 billion thoughts that's associated with that thing. So for example, I'm just going to pick something super random because you wouldn't even expect it. Hair follicles, genetics, where it stays, the length, the longevity, the health associating with that person. You don't even think about that. You just see black hair. That's as far as you would go. But the AI think beyond just that. 200 billion thoughts for one particular object. That's its capability. Now a human can't do that. It's just you would have to sit down and map out every single thoughts that you have. And so it's particularly very disrupted and people are on two boats. One, they think it's a productivity tool. And I spoke to many CEOs who think of it like that. Two, people who think that it's world-altering. And so when it comes to logical conclusion of which boat you want to decide to go on, you have to think, well, it's much better to be on the boat where that is potentially life-altering. Because being on the other boat, you're taking on a lot of risk. You're essentially allowing the unknown to take shape while deciding that, hey, this is just another Bitcoin fad or a Web3 fad 
versus on the other hand, allows you to learn more about it, get more educated on it, understand more about it, reducing the risk overall that it can control you. The boat that I'm on is obviously the boat that is life altering because I can already see things that are changing. And we're coming at a point where it's hard to predict what's past AI because we can't think exponentially. We often invent tools to solve problems for humanity and AI is the tool that is the peak of human intellect because at the moment in time, we are experiencing the most pressing problems that humanity face, climate change, inequality, war, etc. So we're essentially building the ultimate tool to help us solve our problems. Without realizing it, we're going to have to be the one to dictate where it's going. I mean, my message is, if you're listening to me, I suggest you get heavily involved. It's like the first time when a person invented fire. Look what happened. It built civilization. Or even more recently, the internet, to a lesser degree, social media. There were all those people who said that the internet was a fad, and we know how that played out. Elvin, I'd love to get your perspective coming from the higher education arena, frankly, and I'd love to just hear how they're thinking about this with the preface that I would imagine that usually, at least traditionally, they seem very slow to adopt things or even they get stereotyped as being traditionalists or people that are of the old guard or whatever it is. And maybe you can change some of those stereotypes, but I'd love to hear how they're thinking about AI and some of the implications that it might have. Yeah, Tuan, wow. I was mind blown about that Iris example and everything else that you said. It just really blew my mind. And I'm so glad that we finally got you on to talk about this. But from my side in higher education, that's why I wanted to learn more from Tuan. Like you said, Hector, it's a very slow moving behemoth. I mean, higher education sector is huge. It touches almost all parts of life. We are, as a sector, obviously trying to figure out how do we use it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that don't want to use it because they're thinking it's helping people cheat. So they're like two camps. Yes, it's an assistant and it's going to help us create, generate knowledge, and it's going to be more equitable for lots of other students to learn. But also there's the other camp that's basically cheating. It's not fair and we should ban it. So there's some schools that are banning it. They're going back to paper and pencil exams, which I think is really interesting. But there are folks who are innovators and ahead and are constantly using it in their work trying to figure out, okay, now how do we use it? First of all, because they have to master it in order to teach the effectiveness of it and how to use these tools. The students themselves are playing around with them, obviously. So a lot of them are teaching their teachers, (laughs) which is interesting. In higher ed, the question I think for Tuan is, since you've worked with these tools for so long, what are some of the best ways that you think higher education as a sector can use these tools to essentially do its job, which I think it's basically to make sure that number one, students get out of higher education with a job. And and number two, they get out with being like a a well-rounded human being, a global citizen that wants to give back and help others. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Tuan. I'm going to draw a parallel. When social media first came out, everyone was raving about the idea behind the fact that you can connect with people instantaneously and there's a live feed that you basically have this whole online community. We didn't see the ramification of the fact that online community just means that we're more alone together. The ramification takes time, but then in turn, it resulted in a infrastructure and fundamental of human lives now lives and connected through multiple different social media platforms. We've evolved ourselves as a society through technology. 
No one can predict that. Even though I like to say that, hey, let's get all the smartest people in the room together and try to run the statistical analysis of how things will go down and then predict ahead of time and create the infrastructure that necessary to take place to solve for education from the college level to high school, middle school, and so on and so forth. Now, the current education system is already in shambles. I mean, I've talked to students who are in the poor community versus the high school kids who pay 60k a year to attend. It's like massive amount of difference, right? Education systems are already broken. And then now AI is essentially messing all of that up. We kind of don't understand where things would take place because it now solely rely on the individuals. I don't have the power to tell and ask the smartest education or scientist to be in the room together. But what I would say is let it play out. Let it play out. Kind of enjoy and see the trend and patterns. Because what it is, is AI is just an extension of human history as a whole. It has vast knowledge. And so as we are growing up in a new generation, it shapes and forms society based off how the tool is being used. Let's, for example, like back in the day, back when guns weren't a thing, almost everybody had to learn how to use a sword. Did you both grow up learning how to use a sword? <laughs> Not that I can remember. <laughs> right. So now we're living in a generation where this new tool is going to be the new normal. AI will be the new normal across the board. It will be the default search engine. And I have a lot of theories in terms of how this is going to play out. But, you know, the more theories I share, the more not credible I become. So I hold it for myself, right? But then if the things come out to be true, then I'm on to something. But for the most part, I'd say, let's take a step back and focus on and recognizing where the trend is going. Because at the moment in time, there's not enough data point for us to point to our linear prediction because things are moving so fast. The problem with technology, it goes beyond teaching and cheating and generational gaps. It's a lot of data points altogether. And I mean, you can type a prompt in ChatGPT and ask, what it thinks about this. Like, how do you approach education? It will give you a generic answer. But what I think is that in education as a whole is that AI will be the primary teacher moving forward. And the reason why is there's two things. One, there's this channel on YouTube called CPG Gray. Not sure if you both heard of them. It's really popular YouTube and researcher person who create animated style videos talking about very interesting things. He talks about the perfect education system. And there's two ways. And the reason why we can't do it before the AI age was, one, it has to be very personalized because a person has different ways to learn, visually, auditory, writing, etc. Every person has different ways to learn, which makes educational challenging because you have 20 people sitting in the classroom with one teacher, with one teaching style trying to tailor the way that person teach to the rest of the class, which makes absolutely no sense. That just means that some kids will get it and some kids will don't, depending on how inclined the students is to the teacher's teaching style. So personalization is required. Now, let's assume that you can want to solve for that. Then you would hire personal tutors who is trained to be adapted to the very student's ability to learn. So then they can transform their teaching style to only fit that child's ability to learn. Now, 
as you can see, the two problems that I just pointed out can be solved by an AI. It's solved for both the scalability aspect and the personalization aspect. So back then, you can't just hire a personalized tutor for every single student. Now you can. So like it or not, AI has created an interesting way to, like, I immediately see it. It's like, hey, we've solved education. The only reason why we're not solving for education right now is because there's fundamental infrastructure that put in place. It would require the unemployment of a lot of teachers. It would require the upending of policies of a lot of different things and rethink education from the ground up when AI is the primary tool to lean on. Right. So on, I've heard, and I wish I remember who said it, but it was probably a mental block for a reason. But they said that essentially these AI tools are glorified plagiarists, you know, in the sense that all they're doing is they're just grabbing stuff and then repurposing it and reorganizing it, and that it's not actually more than that. I've had some personal experiences where I, I've seen it be able to think beyond just the writing aspect of it. But can you talk to if it is just a glorified plagiarist or how you kind of see it with regards to that? Yeah. Whoever asked the question, let me ask some self-awareness question. He just or she just described a human being. <laughs> sorry. That's brilliant. I love that answer. I'm sorry, Twan. That was great. Go ahead. We'll glorify plagiarists. And sometimes you come across another human being that's showed the ability to think. So isn't that a little bit airy, the fact that people assume that and just treat AI as a tool and then and glorify the human being instead? Well, yeah. I mean, Tuan, I think we could probably do more glorifying of people in general. We could probably start to treat people with a little more dignity in general. But yeah, so, I think you make a great point there, though. Yeah. The very difference is like, you give a tool to a person's hands, what they do with that tool is the primary difference of how that tool takes shapes. You can give the person a hammer, they can kill or they can build. When you're looking at an AI tool and see it as just a glorified plagiarist, then you would only be able to extract the value from that perspective. So help us to see perhaps a better perspective. And I think part of the problem, and I, I've only learned these things by having to actually play with it and spend hours and hours trying to figure out how to get the most out of it, different prompts and seating and all these kinds of things. But it, it took me going through that, which I think a lot of people right now are not willing to do. How might we help them to gain a larger perspective on what's possible? You talked about medical and legal. And so maybe we could just talk to some use cases that people aren't thinking about or how someone who is either in the higher education space or for our audience in the creator space, maybe some not so obvious ways that they might be able to leverage these tools. Yeah, I would be able to tackle all of the not obvious ways. Before you do anything, just ask yourself, can an AI do this? Ever since I asked that question for myself, <laughs> I free up so much time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that a lot, Tuan. Sorry, Tuan. I just, it's like changing your mindset, right? You just have to change your mindset to always be thinking, can an AI do this? It's like that. That's the first question. Whereas before, I feel like for me, I would go to Google. Let me search in Google. Let me search in Google. Now I got to like flip it and say, no, no, no. Can an AI do this? Now I notice I'm going more to Bard. And because I've been working a lot with Bard, and I really love what Bard's going on because it's, you know, again, it's live now. It's, I mean, you know more than I do, Tom, but you can get information from what's happening now as of today. I put in today, like, give me today's top higher education news and boom, a whole bullet list of a bunch of good stuff there. So that was one case example. But I like where you start with the mindset first. And I, I think that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I mean, I can go into the specifics. 
But then everybody's life is very different. You almost want to create a whole Iron Man suit of software for yourself with AI, essentially. And to be able to use AI effectively, I'd say that the question is more important than the answers. I spent my entire high school life just being really good because I've asked so many questions in class and in college. I asked them because I know that it's not obvious. People think that common sense is a thing. No, common sense is not a thing. Common sense is often not common practice. What's obvious to you might not be obvious to another person. So therefore, I ask every single question that is not obvious to me. And that allows me to understand much better a way to approach asking the question than caring more about the answer. Because ultimately, the answers will lead to more questions. And then how do you interact with AI? You ask the right questions for it to give you the right results. So focusing on asking the right questions, and you'll be able to figure out the right solutions for yourself. One thing, uh, Hector, before we end the show, I did want to want to talk about, because we talked about this before, and I just thought the insights were pretty impressive. What's the difference between AI and a podcast host? And what's the future of like AI and podcasting? So I was hoping that, Tuan, you can kind of share your insights on that. Yeah. So let's imagine something real quick. Let's just imagine that both of you are an AI avatar right now. It's definitely possible. Like, I can't tell. Yeah. That's a little bit scary. <laughs> well, well I'll, I think I know where you're going, Tuan and Elvin. It's interesting that this is happening now, but it came to me in a meditation. Or Tuan, maybe you were throwing it into my brain, but this idea of like a digital legacy, because what podcasters are doing are creating this data set that can be put into a chat bot. And I've got a four-year-old and he's already going through like girlfriend stuff and like it's crazy. But I know that there are lessons that he's not quite ready for that I want to be able to enshrine. And so I know that one day we're going to be able to put our archive into something and it won't be a chat GPT, but maybe he can, you know, put on a headset or something like that and chat with dad or chat with grandpa or, you know, long after I'm gone, our future generations will be able to talk with us because specifically podcasters, because they put that on tape and then Tuan knows better than I, but like they can take that somehow and create their own models. So I don't know if that's kind of where you were going, Tuan, but this idea of a, a digital legacy or like legacy AI has been something that has been spinning around in my head for just really the last several days. So it's a fitting timing. Digital legacy is... <laughs> It's not even top of mind for me. It's like the whole internet is a digital legacy. Anything that an AI have access to publicly is digital legacy. Beyond podcasting, every single YouTube video is public. We have beyond digital legacy. We have way too much information that are out there already. Digital legacy isn't even needed. I think the primary focus of the question about podcasting is whether or not it's actually going to be a thing in the future. People listen to podcasts for two reasons. One is to be educated, and two is the personality of that person or the exclusivity of that guest. And there's always one thing that doesn't go away in terms of a competitive advantage. Your IP of podcasting is the host personality and the guest personality, the interaction that it creates when those interact. In a sense, like you can monetize yourself by being yourself. So, so does this look like the same way that I think there was that 20-something-year-old girl who turned herself into a girlfriend and she's essentially taking her quote-unquote IP, but she's creating these hundreds of thousands or however millions of different iterations of her. Again, this personalized experience, the same way that you were personalizing education, content and media is going to be personalized in that same kind of way. That seems like a natural progression, actually. Yes, but when it comes to podcasting, why do you think people pay attention or listen? 
Well, yeah, I think that ability to connect, they listen to a podcast because they connect with the host. Well, if all of a sudden that host, you can take AI and turn that connection into a one-on-one connection where all of a sudden you're not just listening to someone at the table, but you're actually having a conversation with them or like you're actually a part of it. All of a sudden that media becomes a, a unique personalized experience that is AI extrapolated over all the different iterations, kind of like a multiverse of Elvins, if you will, you know, <laughs> he's gone into the multiverse there. So fascinating stuff. Like I said, people listen to podcasts in two reasons. And the other reason besides the personality aspect is knowledge. Well, if the AI can give you every single answers that you ever want, what do you listen to podcasts for? Well, I don't think, and people always talk about podcasts as like, what is a podcast? Is a podcast on an RSS feed? Is a podcast on YouTube has podcasts that have no semblance of, you know, there's no audio, there's no RSS. So it's like this idea of what is a podcast is going out the window. And I think the idea of like even media, because at that point, media is going to be so transformed by AI. I don't know if we still have the same, I want to call them incantations, but the same iterations of platforms. So you're pointing towards what I'm trying to say is people will tune in to the future of podcasts for entertainment, not knowledge. Because they can already get the knowledge. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I see what you're saying. So what I see it, though, is like a lot of things that I'm trying to use AI for is to kind of see around corners, right? In the same way that a coach or a therapist or some sort of consultant might be able to kind of see around the corners or lay out the landscape for you. I do think that outside of entertainment, it might not be a podcast, but someone might tune into something to get over a breakup or they might tune into something, right? They're, they're kind of these functionally, perhaps extremely human situations and experiences that we're all of a sudden going to the AI to process, right? Instead of me listening to, you know, a finance podcast, it's some sort of direct, like what you're talking about, experience of that, that is, you know, I, I'd imagine that podcasters, they get into podcasting, not because they like to talk on audio necessarily, but because they like to teach. And so for them, the evolution may not be, okay, you record on a Zoom with you know two other awesome guys. The evolution of that is the creatorship will evolve. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts that humans will still be the driver or the driver of the tool, I think is such a, a big part of AI, I think, unless it's the Terminator and it's oh, going to take over. My, my answer to your question is, can it be done by an AI? <laughs> so I was just going to say... <laughs> I was just going to say that, dude, that was going to be done by an Dude, that's, that's going to be my biggest takeaway from this, man. This has just been mind-blowing. Like, I'm just going to forever be asking myself that question, and I'm going to be yelling it out. I'm going to be saying, can it be done by an AI? I'm going to talk to my daughter, my, my wife, everybody. I'm just gonna say, that, so, that's the name of the episode yeah. now. Yeah. And again, you're leading and alluding to sort of like what I'm doing at the point AI right now. We're building an AI platform that builds AI tools. Okay. So the AI is building the AI. Talk about the point, because I love how you guys, you've broken up on your website. You've got four different categories, customer support, data analysis, content generation, and sales messaging. And I love how those are very like practical, like everybody. So just talk a little bit about kind of the mindset and what you guys do, but also why those were the arenas that you decided to tackle. So we're more than just those things. Our philosophy of approaching this is very, I believe we have a winning formula as to how AI will shape in the future for businesses. So at the moment in time, all the big organizations are shelling out 10 millions of dollars or 100 millions of dollars to hire their own engineers to build AI solution in-house, which is really smart. Imagine an organization who has less than 100 employees. If you look at all the bureau 
statistics and you realize that it's kind of structured like a pyramid. There's a big company at the top, Apple, and then there's a lot more companies that are smaller. And so essentially with all these smaller companies, what do they do? Well, they are forced to kind of look at the landscape of AI and realize that, oh, there's maybe 100,000 different tools that are out there. One, how do you know which tool to use? Two, it's going to be very siloed and fragmented. You're going to be working with basically multiple different AI vendors, working with multiple different tool sets. And because they're separate entities, these AI tools don't speak to each other. Now, because you can't deploy millions of dollars to build your own AI solution, we like to be the one for you. We like to be the one to create an AI on a lake house architecture, which is essentially an ecosystem where AI tools are allowed to speak to each other. So let's say we have the sales tool, which is the ability to select a lead and write a highly personalized message to send out to that person based off of what the AI found on the internet about that person. Now, let's have the sales and the marketing tool being on the same ecosystem. If the marketing tool have written a blog post, now the sales tool recognizes that, hey, there's a blog post here. I would want to include that blog post into this message. That only works if it exists on the same ecosystem, but not separate to copywriting and sales to separate AI entities. So we're essentially building the AI platform to build every single tool in existence for that can be function with an AI. So we're going through different business right now and ask like, hey, what's the most time consuming aspect of your business? And can it be done by an AI? And we built that very tailored workflow for them. And then any new tools that they need, they can always come back to us. They pay fraction of what they would pay to get their own AI engineers. And it all lives on an ecosystem, kind of like an Iron Man suit. You don't want your right arm to be made from a different manufacturer than your left arm. You want it to be in the same manufacturer and a working in tandem. And we saw for the biggest problem that no one thought about, but has been kind of been disregard for the longest time, organizational alignment. The ability to have your sales team to talk to your engineering team and your marketing team to customer success team. Everyone is in their own domain expertise using different vocabularies. No one can be on the same page, but it can be done with an AI. That's great. The website is thepointai.com. We'll link that up in the show notes. Elvin, you want to give a quick little plug on the EdUp experience? Yeah, I just want to say, Tuan, this is, again, mind-blowing. Thank you so much. And for those who are listening on the EdUp experience, uh, please reach out to Tuan. He's on LinkedIn. That's how I got connected with him. Follow his work. Please follow his work. Again, what you said today, just mind-blowing. And I want to say thank you. And go to edupexperience.com, edupexperience.com to learn more. And Hector, I love your work, dude. Love what you're doing with the podcast industry. And and I'm really a big fan of what you do. So always a pleasure. This was great. Thank you both. Yeah. Well, Tuan, this was selfishly and, and personally a great and needed conversation. I'm excited that we can bring some of this to the creator community and to the higher education community. And I'm excited to see what you guys do. Thanks for being with us wherever you guys and whatever feed that you guys are listening on. We would love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone in the higher ed space or someone in the creator space, someone who else would enjoy this conversation, please send them send them this episode and then go out and get create, connected with Tuan and, and The Point AI. And let's see what kind of world we can create together or what kind of world the AI can create for us. <laughs> but uh, we'll see y'all later. Bye.